What's going on, everyone? Alex De Silva. I hope you are well and you're having an amazing day, afternoon, evening, wherever you are in the world. So this is now part three. Part three, if you've been listening to one and two, then this is me talking about my quarter equina syndrome journey. And if you're watching this on video, excuse the uh, change in position. I have to change positions because um because of the muscle de- de- uh because I don't have any muscles in the back of my legs it gets very uncomfortable sitting down for long periods of time but um I'm sure you don't care so and to be honest neither do I if you're on audio you won't care anyway because you can't see me so as I was talking about um that that ward j2 ah oh, they kept talking to me about it and they were talking to me about this, this ward that I was going to go to. And the physio there was incredible. And it's very intensive. And to be honest, you know, a lot of the times people that go to J2, they'll have like an intensive, you know, two week, you know, sometimes a little bit more and people go, they go home and then, you know, continue their journey. So I'm excited. I'm really, really excited because I'm doing my exercises. I'm mupping my game. You know, the physios, uh, because I banged the table and I got angry a number of times, they started to bring. So this is about three weeks in now. They, uh, the third weekend, I kicked off with, with them. And during this process, so this is where things change. So three weeks in, I kicked off. And on Monday, week three, they bought a bike in. and. I was happy. I was happy as Larry. <laughs> I was happy as Larry because I love exercising and bikes is something that I used to like static bikes. I did a lot of work on those when I, when I was doing CrossFit, I did a lot of them, you know, on the, uh, on the air bike, the rogue bike on the, uh, concept two bike. Erg. So I did a lot of that. So one of the things for me, which I'll mention, I forgot to say, um, my legs went from being, strong i had strong strong legs and i kind of mentioned you know a a couple of episodes before you know i was able to squat you know very heavy i've always you know have had strong legs i've always had doing martial arts so on and so forth so i've always had power in my legs explosive power strong power strength power as well and um so i went from walking around between 85 to 87 kilos that's like my ideal weight and I jumped on a scale and I dropped within post-op, two weeks of post-op or whatever it was, or a week. I can't even remember now. It doesn't matter. I dropped six kilos. I went down to 81 kilos, 81 kilos. And I laughed. I was gobsmacked, but also laughed because I, I, I looked at my my tiny little legs and you know my bum went from being strong glutes, strong legs to literally my my bum was like a little, you know, it was like a, a, a soggy tea bag. Like it was, it was honestly, it's gone. It was gone. And I, I laugh about it now. I laugh with my wife and I'm laughing now because sometimes I do catch myself in a mirror and I still laugh now. I'm like, oh man, my glutes have gone. They're gone because they just switch off. And honestly, that's something that for me just blew my mind. How the muscles, when it switches off, it's gone. Now I'm rebuilding things. And this is kind of the hard work is rebuilding everything back up. So here we are, week three, they bring me a bike and I'm happy. 
they chucked me on this bike for half an hour, gave me like an intense, you know, kind of workout, two minutes rest, not rest, two minutes slow, one minute fast. And I crank up the, uh, the intensity and, um, yeah. And so I'm loving life. I'm loving life. And then comes middle of the week, you know, I'm then doing my exercises. I'm now walking with the frame. I've got, you know, I'm, I'm trying to get my steps in and, you know, doing everything that I can just to keep improving every day. I'm going further and further and further. Started out by going from my bed to the toilet and back and then did that a number of times. And then went from, you know, doing the toilet trips to then walking to the end of the hall, which was, you know, the end of the ward, which was a long, you know, a nice, decent walk. And then started walking the whole ward to eventually walking from my ward all the way down to the concourse, which is a 10 to 20 minute walk. I don't really know. I don't, don't, you know, I wasn't really using a watch, so I couldn't really time, but it was a decent, decent walk. Yeah. Between kind of 10 to 20 minutes. I don't know. So I, you know, that was a huge leap, you know, within, you know, three to four weeks, I started really challenging myself because I could feel it. I felt that I was doing good. So I, you know, started to really challenge myself in that way. And um, so the plan was to go to J2. So Lucy and I, one day we were together on our own. She surprised me. She turned up. She had the weekend to herself because, as I said, my mom and dad were amazing, amazing. They would take the kids for the weekend. They would take them on a Friday and then Lucy would go and pick them up on, on Sunday morning. And then she'd come and see me. And one weekend where she didn't have the kids, she was going to go and do something with the girls. She was going to go and do like a breath work, uh, I think retreat or something like that. She was going to go and do some really lovely like self-care. And she turned up and she just turned up and surprised me. And I burst into tears and she burst into tears. And it was so, we spent the day together. And honestly, it was the best. We had like a little date together at the hospital. We went to the concourse and these little things I never forget. I'll never forget this experience as, as, as tough and horrid as, as, as it was, I would never, never forget these things because, you know, there are so many beautiful moments that if we are not conscious or mindful of them, they get swept by the negativity. And it's so easy sometimes for us to be so engrossed and so covered by that dark cloud of negativity, pain, anger, resentment, self-pity, everything. You're just in this, this bubble of fear that we miss. We miss these beautiful things. We miss these beautiful moments, you know. And Lucy then turned up and we had this really wonderful, wonderful time together. So we then that day took a little stroll to J2. So we went to J2 because we wanted to manifest it. They're talking about it all the time. Even now, this is in my notes as well. The doctors are telling me, you know, the physios are telling me, everyone's talking about it, even the specialist nurse. You know, they're talking about J2, J2, J2. So I'm like, wow, okay, we're going. All right, so this is the next step. So I go there to visualize, visualize J2. I'm manifesting this. I'm, I'm manifesting myself every day that I'm walking out of here stronger than I came in. And that's part of the journey. So I went there to see it. I even saw, we saw a nurse and we were like, um, she wasn't really too sure what I said. Look, we just came in here just to manifest. You know, apparently I'm supposed to be coming here next from the war that I was in. 
And she's like, oh, don't worry. And she sort of said, oh, do you want me to kind of show you around? She's like, feel free just to, you know, to, to go and have a look. And we did. So I had that place in my mind. I can still now, it's so vivid. I literally put it in my mind so much that I, I can even see it now. I know exactly what it looks like. So we go back to the ward and then, uh, you know, uh, so again, week three, which is where we are now. And I, uh, I get a, uh, so we're talking about, so here are the possibilities. I'm going to J2. This is what I'm thinking is the number one option. The next is to get accepted um, by Stoke Mandeville as an inpatient, to get inpatient care. Now, that seems to be obviously the, the the top because obviously their care is incredible. And once you're in with Stoke, then you kind of stay with Stoke. So I'm let's go. Let's go. Like I'm 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 all in, you know, whatever, whatever the best options are, because for me now, I want to get out of here. You know, I'm getting to the point now where I'm missing my family. I'm missing the children. I'm missing my friends. I'm missing going I need to be outside of just going to the ward, walking up and down the hall, going to the concourse when people come to visit me. I need to be more now. I, I want to do more. And I'm not trying to rush myself out because I know that that's just going to cause me pain. But I am being patient and I'm just keeping things simple. I keep things just one day at a time. That's it. No more, no less, nothing else. One of the things I did is I said to myself and I set myself a go, I wrote it on my phone. It's my son's second birthday on the 15th of November, 2023. And I said to myself, I will be home by the 10th of November, 2023. So I put that on my phone and that's my goal. And again, there is, you will not tell me otherwise. I will be home for my son's birthday. Because my son's birthday is on the 15th. Mine is is 10 days later. And my eldest daughter, she's going to be 19 a week after me. So our birthdays are happening pretty much back to back. And I am not missing any of them. Any of them, including mine. I don't care if I'm going to be 43. I'm celebrating life. So I'm going home. And that's my goal. That's my attitude with life. I'm going home. I'm celebrating. This is me. And um, so we're talking about J2. And, you know, this is happening. I'm great, great, because I'm now going, what the hell's going on? Because I'm getting frustrated. I'm getting frustrated. I'm starting to get annoyed. I'm starting to, you know, kind of lose lose my my uh, my patience with certain things. Because again, they're not funded properly. They don't have the staff. They're not they're not able to, not they're not capable of because when they do turn up, they are really good, great great when they turn up to to when they provide the service they're all they're good specialist nurses physios everybody so i get a phone call because the the plan or what's been happening in the background is you know they want to get me into uh into stoke mandeville they kind of updated and said you know there's a possibility where you know i might be outpatient and, you know, we're looking at timelines and, you know, by this point now I'm going, listen, I've been here for three weeks. You guys aren't really giving me anything solid. And I said, I need to start seeing action. I need to start seeing timelines. I need to start seeing what the hell's going on because, you know, again, I'm feeling like, you know, because they kind of pull their finger out 
and then they stagnate and you gotta i had to stay on top of it because otherwise again if i don't if i just accept that that's how it is i'm gonna be there for months and i've seen it i see it with other people i've seen it with other people that you know if if they don't ask for their needs they just moan and moan and moan nothing happens a lot of the times if you're a moaner if you're you know if you get angry and you get frustrated like in a negative way a lot of the times they'll just ignore you they'll just ignore you because you're not speaking your needs you're not letting them know what you need and if you let people know what you need and you make that boundary very clear and you're making these things very clear if they then don't respond if they then don't do the things that they're supposed to you are within your rights to get annoyed to bang the table to message pals, whatever it may be, to escalate it. So I get a phone call. So this is where we are, week three. I get a phone call from Stoke Mandeville, which I'm really gobsmacked by because, you know, we're trying to get in there as an inpatient. And if I get in there as an inpatient, I immediately then qualify for J2. So I'm like, I don't care. Either way, I'm excited. Let's go. Let's just get in. I want to get the physio. I want to get the help. I want to get to the next steps. And I randomly get this phone call from Stoke Mandeville. I'm like, wow, this is exciting. Hi, Mr. De Silva. This is so-and-so from Stoke. Uh, just to let you know, you've been accepted as an outpatient. I'm like, outpatient? Because we're having a conversation about being an inpatient. I was like, and this is what I said to her. I said, I thought I'm, I, I'm going in as an inpatient. And they said, no, you don't qualify because of X, Y, and Z. I said, okay. So we start having a conversation and she keeps repeating the word discharge about me being discharged, about them preparing my discharge. And I'm going, discharge? What the hell are you talking about? Discharge? What, how am I being discharged? And I kept saying to her, I cannot be discharged. I can't do stairs. If I get discharged and I go home, I'm stuck at home. If I cannot do stairs, you will not discharge me. I will not be discharged. And I kept saying these things to her. And I don't know if there was a, a you know, something was broken in communication or whatever it may be. But first and foremost, why I started to get annoyed by is why the hell am I receiving a phone call from the service provider? And why is the, 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 the person, the specialist nurse, not come to me and told me this news? So this is where I was a little bit like, hang on a second, what the hell is going on? Why are you phoning me? So I had a conversation with the lady and I was like, okay, cool. Yeah, no worries. All right. See you soon. Bye. Put the phone down. Voice note Lucy at the time because a few things started to happen and we started to voice note each other because I had to now start to be a little bit mindful around negligence. So we started voice noting things to each other just to make sure that we're covering our bases. Not that that's the kind of person I am, but when it comes down to self-care, I prioritize me as number one. And that's how everybody should be. You should always be number one, especially when you're under that care. You've got to look after yourself. You cannot be dictated to any by anybody on what you should or shouldn't be doing. Your health is number one priority, and you have to do whatever you can in your power because it's within your rights to make sure that you get the care that you deserve. That's it. And if you don't do it, I've seen it in the time that I've been there, you will not get it. They will bluff you. They will give you all of this jargon and spill, especially the doctors. They're like politicians. 
Again, do great work. I'm not bashing anybody. But if you're not careful, and I've seen this being done to other people, where they'll give them all this spill and, you know, the husband's there and he's ill, he's not well, the wife's there and the, and the doctors are giving them all this spill and all they're doing is they're just nodding and accepting what they're being told. And then all of a sudden, they don't really understand what's being said and then they get told something else a day or so later and they're like, what the hell? How's that? Because they didn't listen. They won't actively listen. You've got to actively listen to when these people are speaking to you because they will give you a load of stuff like the consultant. When I first came in, I'm going to get to what happened with that. After what's happened here with Stoke, I'm going to tell you what's happened where he said, oh, you'll be home by Friday. Remember that? Hmm. So I get on the phone to, I sent Lucy that, that voice note and I message pals straight away. So pals here in at the, at the hospital that I was in and I'm sure it might be in other, maybe other hospitals as well, is where you can escalate things. So if something urgent happens or something doesn't happen, you can escalate it to them and they escalate it and things generally get looked at uh, pretty quickly. So I sent them an email. Lucy phones them. Within five minutes, I kid you not, within five minutes, one of the head nurses, who I will not name, but she's amazing. These are all the nurses there are amazing, by the way. All of them. They've been incredible. Her in particular, and there is another one, the two head nurses, which I will not name, but they are incredible. And there's been other nurses who have been the same. But I mentioned these two head nurses because they looked after me. They had my back with a lot of stuff. Why? Because I made my needs clear. I spoke to them with respect. When they realized where I was annoyed or I was frustrated, I didn't start screaming and shouting and hollering and swearing. They knew by the tone of my voice that I was annoyed and I'm frustrated. And if something doesn't get done, I'm going to then lose my temper. So this lady comes over and she said, hi, Alex, uh, just to let you know, I've just something's been escalated and made to my attention. And I had a conversation and said to her, yeah, I'm fuming. I'm just going to let you know now. I'm fuming because I got a phone call from Stoke, went through, you know, exactly as I described to you and what happened. And she's like, oh, okay. So obviously because Lucy then phoned in as well. She says, I know that your wife also phoned in and she's requested a meeting. I went, yeah. I said, I need to understand what the hell is going on. Why is a service provider phoning me? Why is everybody telling me that I'm going to J2? And why the hell am I being told that I'm being discharged? What the f is going on? What is going on? So as you can imagine, there's a patient being told by a service provider that I'm being discharged and I've been accepted as an outpatient, which means I, then go, I have to then go home to wait for that to kick in, which can take up to three months. I haven't tested stairs at this point. So I'm fuming. And I'm worried because I know all of a sudden they'll come to you and go, right, so uh, you're going to be discharged today. And then they'll do your paperwork and you're off home. So I esc we escalated this very quickly. So she then goes off. I made my point, said a few things. I said, yeah, I need to see the consultant. I need to see the specialist nurse. I need to see the physio. Basically, all the people that have been involved in this. I need to know what the hell's going on. What the hell's going on now? So the specialist nurse comes in. So bear in mind, we were talking about J2 before. Hollering and, you know, manifesting J2, J2, J2. All the physios are talking about it. Everyone's mentioning it. Yeah, and even a doctor came up to me and says, yeah, it's on your notes. He's reading it to me. Yeah, it's on your notes. That's the next plan. I'm supposed to be, you know, 
apparently next on the list to go. On this is this is what's been said. So the specialist nurse turns up. I told her what happened. I said, "What the hell is going on? Why are you not telling me this? What the fuck's happening with you know the fact that I'm being discharged? What's all this all about?" I thought I'm going to J2. So we then start having a conversation. And she tells me flippantly, out of the blue, three weeks in, oh, you don't qualify for J2. I went, say that again. She went, yeah, you don't qualify for J2. And I went, why? Oh, because you're not local. You're not local to the hospital. So you because you're out of the, uh, the radius, you know, the catchment area, I don't qualify for J2. I lost my shit. I went, so why the hell, I said the F word, why the hell has nobody told me this? Why is everybody telling me that that's where I'm going? I'm going to J2. This is what's happening. You're next on the list. Even you're telling me I'm going to J2. What the hell is going on? And I'm fuming by this point because she's the specialist nurse that has been involved in this whole thing in getting me to this outpatient rehab and getting all of these things sorted, everything else, blah, 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 blah. And the physio, the consultant, this individual, this lady, they're all supposed to be communicating as far as I'm concerned because the message, as it's being told to me, is very consistent. This is what's happening. These are the other options. But this is what's happening. This is where you're going. I now get told three weeks in that I don't even qualify for it. So I can't even go. I'm not even going there. Not even going there. That's not even an option now. So as you can imagine, I hit the roof because I'm three weeks in. And I said to her, by this point, there is people in the ward. There are people in the ward. There are families there. But I didn't care because the number one thing is she lied for three weeks, and I said to her, you lie to me for three weeks. Everybody here has lied to me for three weeks. Three weeks, everybody lied. And I said, why the hell did you not tell me this from the beginning? I said, you especially, why did you not tell me? Because you said about J2. You mentioned it time and time again. She went, oh, I don't like telling people until we have another plan in place. And I went, are you fucking kidding me? I said, so you lie to your patients until you have something else in place. I said, why didn't you just tell me that in the first place? So I didn't go to J2. I didn't keep manifesting it. Everybody else didn't keep telling me. If I had known from the beginning, I knew that that was not an option. What we would have done instead is let's look at the things that are viable. What am I entitled to? Let's look at that stuff now. So we're not waiting three weeks in. We're doing it week one, day one. So as you can imagine, I was not happy with the situation. And I, yeah, we, 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 things happened that day. Things started to happen that day because then the consultant then turns up. So she leaves and she has to get this sorted now. I said, this, this is not even, I said, I want, now I, you need to communicate with me as much as you possibly can, because I need to understand what the hell is going on. You are not going to keep me here for another three weeks where I know nothing. So whatever you need to do to get me into J2 or to get me into Stoke or to get, I don't care, Timbuktu, but you need to put a plan in and you need to tell me what that plan is. And it's got to be a solid plan. And I want to know exactly what the steps are going to be. 
she went off and did exactly what she needed to do and hats off to her she she did what what she needed to do I, um I, as much as i lost my temper she she, she yeah she pulled it off and you know i'll 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 give that to 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 her for sure so then the physio comes in we're having the same conversation and i'm like listen you guys need to step your game up because this is what's happened. What the hell is going on? You guys are not showing up. I need to be able to do stairs now. So pull your fingers out and you need to show up twice a week. Now you're showing up. No, none of this. If you can't do it, you need to tell me. I don't need to know a time. I don't need to know anything. If I see you guys popping in and out and you haven't seen me, you better come and see me and tell me, listen, we're coming to see you today. We're coming to see you tomorrow. I don't care now because this has gone so far that you're taking a mick. Do you know what I mean? Again, you have to prioritize yourself. If you do not prioritize yourself, you will not get what you need. And being in hospital, you have to make sure that your needs are being met. You are the patient. You are the patient. And if you don't do these things, if you don't make yourself heard, you will get ignored. You will get ignored. And a lot of people don't say these things. And often or not, they do get ignored. And a lot of people do get left there. And they don't get the treatment. They don't get the care. And I've seen it time and time again in groups. I've seen it in other places. And I'm learning more and more and more about quarter equina syndrome. And I'm seeing it more and more and more with people that have been left, people that have not received the care that they need. Even now, they've lost control of the bladder, of the bowels, that everything has gone numb and they still haven't been operated on. Some people that I've seen, stories that have been weeks, months, you get 24 hours. Once you lose bladder and bowel control, it's a 20, this is, a, this is not a game. It's a timing tick bomb. You've got 48 hours. Now, I don't know enough about this and it's so rare, so rare. Now, from the stories that I've heard in the groups that I'm in, speaking to consultants, we have a consultant that my wife works with, who's a consultant spinal surgeon in London, who has been incredible to us, has been incredible to us, has done these procedures before, knows all about it, has given us all the information that we need and more, especially to my wife. So a lot of this information that I'm sharing, it's coming from very, very reliable and professional sources, as well as people who are going through it, have been through it and are going through it. So when, when that kind of negligence starts to happen, you've got two choices, sit back and let it happen or get assertive, take control and make sure that you're being looked after. Now, this applies to anything. Anything in life, anything in life, you've got to take control of your life, especially when it comes to you as an individual. When it comes to your mind, body, spirit, health, you are number one. Nothing on a planet matters because if you start to prioritize everything else, you won't have anything else. Everything else around you will suffer. If you are not in the best condition you can possibly be, you will not be able to positively affect anything else in your life. Everything else in your life will also be affected by this. And I've seen it time and time and time again. 
Every case is so different and so rare. So I'm not speaking around every case because even the professionals don't even know. And I'm going to get to in a second about the conversation I had with a consultant. So I spoke to the physio. She took massive action again, went off. We made a plan. She went off, started speaking to some people because I've been accepted as an outpatient at Stoke. So now I need to get care for when I go home. And I also need to do stairs. I need to start looking at doing stairs. So let's get to the next level now. And I need to make sure that I'm being looked after as I meant to. Off she goes and again, delivers. So the consultant then comes in, Mr. Consultant. Every time I see him, he says to me, I can't believe you're still here. So he comes in week three, says it again. And it was the wrong fucking thing to say to me, considering the position that I was in and everything that's been happening. And he says to me, can't believe that you're here. And I went, yeah, funny that, because after you operated on me, you told me that I'll be out of here by Friday, that I will be walking within two to three weeks, that I'd be driving within a month and I'd be back at the gym within 12 weeks. And you should have seen his face. I could see he just tightened up. His eyes literally just bulked, almost just popped out of his eyes. And he just started mumbling. Oh, 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 and didn't know what to say. And then until his brain kicked in, he's like, whoa. And now he's, now the conversation is, every person is very different. You know, his case, now his case by case basis. But before, he was very happy to tell me that, I will be out of there by Friday. I'll be walking within a couple of weeks. I'll be driving within X amount of time. I'll be back in the gym within 12 weeks. Now it's a very different story because the word has obviously got round now with what's been happening and now it's kicked off. So I'm having a conversation with him and I'm saying to him, so what the hell's going on now? Because here's my problem. I'm doing all of these exercises. And at the time I started to get some pain going down my right leg and I started to get numbness coming back into my foot, my right foot. This is on my right side. So I started to get slightly concerned and he's giving me maybes and, you know, this story and that story and potentially and blah, blah, blah. And I went to him, listen to me again. Listen very carefully to when you're speaking to a doctor or a consultant because they're very quick to say, well, you know, it's all case by case basis and, you know, things can be very different and, you know, this is to be expected, you know, so on and so forth. And I said to him, nothing that you said to me there has given me any proof or, or confidence that everything has gone okay. You told me that post-op, Everything has gone okay. I need proof. I need proof. Facts. You're not giving me any facts. So I don't want an MRI scan. I want you to look at inside and make sure 110% that everything is okay. That I'm good as gold. Because as far as I'm concerned, for the three weeks I've been here, you guys have done the bare minimum. Bare minimum. So he goes in, and this is the thing, when you listen carefully, they memorize certain things that they, that they tell you. These are just medical jargon. And if you don't listen or you don't challenge it, they're just going to bluff their way out of the situation. And again, it was ifs and buts and maybes. There was no facts. And I said to him again, 
have you looked inside me post-op? No. So you don't know. Everything you've told me so far has been ifs or buts. Everything that has happened up until this point has been negligence. There is massive negligence going on here. And as soon as you mention those words, their ears prick up and their eyes open. Why? Because they all of a sudden can be held liable in a court of law. Again, not that I'm the kind of person that's going to start taking people or threatening anybody. Oh, you didn't do this to me, so I'm going to sue you. I don't give a monkeys about that. I care about my health. I want to make sure that underneath, inside me, the structure of my body, the spine, where I've been operated on, it's all good. We're good. There were no issues. Peace of mind. Facts. And I pushed and pushed. And eventually he said to me, we'll have an MRI scan done this afternoon. I went, thank you. He leaves. Within the hour, the guy comes back. Your MRI is going to be done within the hour. I said, cool. Thank you so much. By two o'clock that afternoon, and this was in the morning, by that time, I went and did the MRI scan. The results came back. Yep. All good. Perfect. Brilliant. Thank you so much. Can I get a copy of it? Yes. Just drop these guys an email. They'll send you a copy. Done. You've got to push for your health. Now, it doesn't matter whether it's called a requiner syndrome. It doesn't matter what it is. When it comes down to you, are you prioritizing yourself? Are you putting yourself in a position where you are doing everything that you can to be 100% fit in mind, body, spirit. Because if you don't do these things, you are going to struggle. You're going to struggle. And you don't deserve that. And I see it time and time again. One of the things I see because of this condition, this is a hard condition. This is not easy. It is not easy. It takes work because there is no timeline to this. And by the way, remember I said to myself, I'm getting out of here by the 10th of November, 2023. Today is the 8th of November, 2023. And I'm talking to you from my house, from my place, in my living room. I came home. Over a week ago, I arrived in my house a week ago on Monday. Monday evening, I walked into my house with a frame, but I walked into my house. Why? Because I never, never diverted, never changed my mind, never believed anybody else's doubts, even, even the, the physiotherapist, the head physiotherapist i worked with her a number of times she's amazing she's lovely you know and she she supported me a number of times as well and she was the one that actually said to me listen you know we're really understaffed i'm so sorry please she actually said to me please complain so that we get the support that we need which is why i did and a lot of the nurses there and especially say the same thing Please complain so we can improve our services. So it's not the fact that they don't want to do it. It's the fact that, and this is a completely different story, that 
the NHS is not funded, it's not supported in the way that it's supposed to. So I do, I do take my hat off to every single person, even the consultants, even the doctors, every single person who made a change. Unfortunately, I had to, to, to shout about it. I had to make, you know, make it known. I had to stand up for myself. I had to be assertive. But that's sad that it has to get to that point. And this is not just me. There are other people in the ward because they saw what I did. They end up having to do the exact same thing to get results, to get results. So, you know, um, the head physio, you know, towards the end, let's fast forward, the, you know, the, the two weeks that I was there. So this was that, you know, all of these things happen week three. So we're now peace of mind, you know, week four, they come back and they say to me, okay, look, you know, we've gone off. Stoke came back and said to us that we're not, you know, we're not accepting you as an inpatient. We're accepting you as an outpatient. I went, cool. I'm good with that. Let's go with it. Let's accept it. Let's get in. How long is it going to take? Up to three months. Cool. Can we now get the ball rolling for me to get out of here? So this is now week four. I want to get out of here. You need to do what you need to do in order for that to happen. So now, occupational therapists come in and they do what they need to do with me. They do the test. They take me to the loo. They get me to walk. They test a load of stuff. They start to ask me what you know my living arrangements are like, the things that I'm going to need. And then I had another lady who came over just to ask about equipment, you know, other things as well. And things then started to move fairly quickly, fairly quickly. The physio then did exactly the same thing. We then came up with a plan. She said, look, you know, we've got two options here. I can either get you in for, I think it's a two week or 12 week intensive care. It's like an inpatient care uh, like physio care, somewhere local to where I am. I said, okay, well, how long is that going to take? She went, unfortunately, it's not immediate. It can take, you know, a few weeks, potentially, a, you know, a, a few months. Um, I said, okay, can I wait at home for that? She went, no, you have to be in hospital. I went, absolutely not. No, I'm not staying in hospital waiting for this to, to manifest. Find me something externally that can support me whilst I'm at home. So that was the option. So she went off, made a load of contacts, came back. The plan's there. So we're now, you know, coming up towards a, towards the end of week four and everybody's going off. Now we're having conversations of, oh, you're going home on Monday. Now I'm not holding my breath considering everything that's happened throughout the previous weeks. But I am getting a little bit excited because here's what happened. One of the physios, and they know me by now, they bring me a bike every Monday. And so this is three weeks now. They've been bringing me this bike. And every week, they've been cranking the intensity. I'm one of these people that I like to challenge myself. If you haven't picked that one up just yet. So the last, the first time I went on a bike, I got to probably like intensity 10 on a bike, 10, 11, something like that. So when the lady came in to drop the bike again, the physio, she went, what did you do the last time? I can't lie. So I went... Oh, I got up to about 10. She went, good, we're going to start you on 10. And she went, and I expect you to go up. <laughs> I was like, oh, oh, you, you're taking a mick. But I was like, let's go. So I finished week two, or the second time they brought the bike over. 
on about 13, I think it was, over the half an hour. Starting on 10 is hard when you haven't warmed up and your legs are not exactly 100%. And bearing in mind, when I first got on a bike, I started on about five. So going from five to 10 and then starting on 10, I was like, oh, I see you. I know what you're doing. And it's the same workout. So you start two minutes slow, five minutes fast. And my fast is I'm going all out for the minute and then I'm resting two minutes. So that's how I, I've done these intensive training sessions. So when I go all out, I blow out for the minute and then I rest for two for, for the two minutes for half an hour. So that was my workout and I loved it. I'm sweating. Come the last one, she uh, <laughs> she brings up, because again, I can't lie. I said, I got to 13 <clears throat> the last time. She went, okay, I'm going to start you on 12. So she started me on 12 and I finished on 15, which was the Monday that I was going to go home. So she blitzed me, but it was good. I love it. I love that kind of stuff. So, you know, those guys did, you know, some, some amazing work. But one of the things that they did, I was having a little snooze one afternoon and they bought a wooden step so, and they left it on, on my bedside table. So they know what I'm like. And I woke up and I'm like, what the hell is that? And I realized it was a step. And this is week four coming towards the end of week four. And they left me a step. So I was like, oh, and this is, I think it was Monday afternoon or something like that, Monday, Tuesday. So it was early week four. I'm buzzing. So I'm like, I'm not going to wait for them to come the next day to do the stairs. Like I'm doing it now. So you don't leave this here. It's almost like leaving a, a, a you know, a, a box of, of M&Ms, Ferrero Rocher, or, you know, like some, you know, cookie dough ice cream next to me and go, oh, don't eat it. I'd fail those those recent, those tests that they used to do on kids where they leave them with a biscuit or sweets. I'd be the one that eats it all. That's why I have an addiction. I had an addiction to food. <laughs> Today, probably not too bad. I can probably, you know, I could last maybe an hour or so and then I'll have some. But I'm one of these people. So when I'm geeked out about something, I'm all in. So I got out of bed, put my splints on. I got new splints now. So I'm feeling good. You know, my splints are helping me walk better because I was bending my knees a little bit when I was walking. These ones are helping to walk a little bit more natural. So I'm starting to feel good. Like I'm now feeling good. Like I said, I'm walk I've walked down to that concourse, which is 10, 15 minutes twice now. And, you know, I'm getting into a good rhythm. I'm feeling good. So I get this box and this thing is heavy. So I put the 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 frame down. There's like, you know, the frames on the side of the hospital beds. I put this thing down. I grab hold of this box and I put it on the floor. I put it close to the bed. I got splints on by this point. I go to the end of the bed. I lift the bed up, you know, to, to a position where I can hold it. And I start taking steps, mate. I'm not waiting for anybody. I'm going. Because if I can do 10 steps, I can do two flights of stairs. That's me. I'm done. If I can do those, I knew I can do it. Because 10 to me is no different than 50. If I can do 10 steps, I can do 50. I can do 100. It's that simple. It may take me a little bit of time. I'm going to have to rest if I have to, but I know I can do it because my legs, my legs are working enough that I can do it. I did 10, no sweat, 10. Honestly, I was over the moon and I made friends with people on the ward. There's a guy in front of me. He's wonderful. Oh, what a lovely man. I really, really, really love him. And we were having conversations and, and he saw me, he saw me put the steps down. I went, I went, look, it's the steps. And he saw me doing it and he could see my face because we, you know, 
we started talking about going home and he was the same, you know, he was, he had been in there for a little while and he's now better. And we were motivating each other to walk. And when I saw him walking, when I saw him getting up and he then now started going to the toilet, he started having a shower. And I kept saying to him, yes, well done, keep going. And this is the thing that I really want to make a point of, you know, you need to have people in your life. If you don't have people immediately in your life, find a group that will do that for you. There are people you are never, ever, ever, ever alone in the world. There are 8 billion people in this world. You will never, ever be on your own. That is an excuse. If you say, oh, I can't find anybody that can help me, that's bullshit. It's complete bullshit. You can find anyone, anyone. And I tell you now, when I got home, I made a bit of a mistake that I made a food order and it was a big one. And I'm using the frame. I can't pick anything up. I can wheel myself up to, to the door. You know, I can walk to the door and I can, but I can't carry anything. The guy that came up and dropped the food was an absolute gentleman. Not only did he bring the food in, he was, he kind of put the crates where it needed to be for me to be able to, you know, put things aside and then eventually be able to put it away with ease. There is always, always one person in the world that will help you. In a planet with 8 billion people, that is not an excuse. There is always going to be somebody that will help you. And when you find that person, buzz with them. Help each other to get through it. Help each other to motivate yourselves. Help each other to go through the tough times. Help each other to talk through the things that you're struggling with. Him and I will talk about, you know, <clears throat> shit in the bed, piss in the bed, you know, especially as men. Men don't talk about this in a pub. You know, they're going to talk about this. I'm talking about it now very openly because I know that there will be men out there who may be going through this now or in the future, who may be in hospital for a completely different reason, but may need to listen to this, being on the ward and going, what the hell do I do now? How am I going to overcome this? You can overcome anything. It's mind over matter. That is a fact I never used to believe that. And then eventually when you get put in a situation like this, and I've been through several now where I've been through addiction when I was a child, and that's a different story, but I'll touch on it very briefly now. When I was a child, I was about nine, 10 years old. And it was around about the time before I came to the UK. I had chicken pox when I was a child, as most kids do. And as you know, chicken pox pop out little scabs and eventually you know you get treated and you you get through it done it's gone you might have little scars and whatever as a you know as a kid and then that's it it's done i got chicken pox again when i was about 10 years old i came to the uk when i was when i was 11 so i was about 10 years old because I, I remember it being not too much not yeah not too long before i came to the uk so I got chicken pox, but the chicken pox didn't break outwards or it wasn't shingles. My chicken pox broke inwards. So the little sores that you get from the chicken pox, they burst inside, which that in itself is so rare, so rare. I have never heard of a case since. I spoke to someone recently when we went to a restaurant that we go to regularly the manager saw me there. He he saw me walking from the toilet and 
we were having a conversation and I said to him, oh, I've been through a few things in my life. And I told him this chicken pox story. And he said, oh, my God, he's from India. And he, he only knows one case, which was someone in his family, where the exact same thing happened. And also they almost died. And that's the only other time where I wasn't hospitalized, but I went to hospital a number of times. And I almost died because people couldn't figure out what the hell was wrong with me. And I kept going in because I couldn't drink, I couldn't eat. And as a child, thank God, again, I was healthy and I was a bit plump then. <laughs> I had a bit of weight on me. And I, because I had that little bit of weight, obviously I survived, you know, I was doing okay, but I started to lose weight very quickly. I didn't eat for the, for, for 10 days. Didn't eat, couldn't drink anything for, for that time. Very, very little because the chicken pox burst all the way down my throat on the inside and all the way down, all the way to my stomach completely broke out and I couldn't, couldn't eat, couldn't drink anything. So it's critical, very critical. And we were getting to the point where we were going to different hospitals in my city, in Londrina, in Brazil. And my mum, my family were losing hope because I kept going on drips just to, to guess, hydrate me, to give me the things that I need. But nobody could diagnose me. I kept, they kept giving me different drugs, different things. Nothing was happening. And I remember as a little boy, remember as a little boy, getting down on my knees and praying. I'm not religious by any means. But something inside me, I just went down on my knees as a 10-year-old boy. And I said, I, I remember vaguely saying, please, God, don't let me die. Like, please help me to heal because, you know, I just want to be better again. Somewhere along those lines. And my nana, who's passed away now, she saw me praying because I did it on my own. There was nobody around. But I was so scared by this point that the only thing I did, I just prayed because I was so scared. And I was a 10-year-old boy didn't know what to do. And the only thing I could do at that time, you know, my family were, you know, Catholic and they were religious, was just, I just had that. That's the one thing I did. I just prayed. And then eventually we went to another hospital because we had been through pretty much every hospital in my city, bar this one. And we turn up at this place and I'm in a hospital bed because I'm fainting now because I'm so weak. And eventually a doctor sees me and it's, and he looked at me and he went, open your mouth. And he saw me, dragged me into his room, looked at me again, did a full search. And he went, this is what he's got. You need to give him this. Never saw this man ever again. Never saw him ever again. Within days, this thing has started to go. I could drink. I started to eat. I started eating super noodles. I love super. And this is super noodles before I think it was like massively shit. And that's the only thing that could eat because it was so soft. And obviously, you know, back then you can make it with the nice juices. And that's how I started to get a little bit of energy. Then I went back to having my full, you know, proper nutrition. And then from then I just, you know, thrived. So I've been through, you know, some rare, some rare situations in, in my life, you know, and now going through the quarter Requiner journey, Speaking to anybody that's going through this journey, you've got to take responsibility for yourself. And I know it's hard. I know it's painful. I know it's not easy. I'm at home now. And I'll talk about this on the next episode that it takes time. It takes time. You know, I set myself a goal that I'll be home by the 10th of November. Yes, I got here before that. I got here before that. Am I walking freely with no crutches or anything like that? No, I'm walking with a frame. But I'm much stronger than where I went in there. 
Absolutely. My mindset is bulletproof, bulletproof. Something in that operation changed me. I came out of there. And as much as I, you know, as I talked about in the first episode, we're feeling scared. I'm looking down on myself and I'm paralyzed and I'm going, am I ever going to walk again? I don't know. I knew there was a peace of mind. There was just a peace. Something was just peaceful in my body. And I remember just continuing every single day to say to myself, I'm walking out of here stronger than I came in. Another thing I say, even today, I say to myself, when I go to the toilet, I celebrate the wins. You know, if I'm weeing better than I did yesterday, if I'm having to strain less, I reward myself. Yes, my body's working perfectly again. It, it, it may not be, but I'm projecting that my body is. If I go to the toilet, my bowels, and there's been some days where I, I passed better than I did the day before. I tap myself, I get excited, I'll go, well done. Yes, well done you. That's so good. You're doing so well. I'm telling myself I'm doing so well. Well done. You got through this today. You're walking that little bit more. You're finding new exercises. Incredible. Well done. You're doing this. You're doing that. You're taking another little step. You're doing something a little bit more. And I reward myself. I say to myself, my body works perfectly. I'm perfectly pain-free. I walk perfectly. My bowels walk perfectly. My bladder works perfectly. My legs are strong. My spine is realigned. My de degenerative uh, disc is healed perfectly. I'm in perfect condition. My body functions, works in perfect condition. I say these things to myself every single day. And I believe it every single day. And every single day, I'm able to do a little bit more. I'm able to do a little bit more. And I'm going to talk to you in the next episode about my journey in, in coming home. You know, I've been home now for over a week. And what does that look like? What does that look like? What's going to happen next? And, you know, how was coming home? How was that for me? Because as much as I've been oh, really looking forward to, to, to being home, you know, and I came home, you know, on, on Monday, Monday last week, it was, it was, uh, and it's been an interesting journey. And let's talk about that on the next episode. Once again, the only thing I ask is share this. If you've got a friend, a family member who's in hospital, who may be struggling and they need some help, they need some support, some positivity, hopefully this can help them um, just to, to give them that hope and that realization that they, you listening to this right now can get through anything. But the number one thing you need to do is to take full control of your mindset, of your brain, of how you think, how you speak to yourself, how you treat yourself, the things you say, the things you do, and especially the things you don't do. These things are so important, so important. And we'll get into that stuff in the next episode. Share, like, leave your comment. Um, especially share. If there's one thing I can ask, and it's the only thing I ask, is just share this. 
share this with with anybody that you can if you know somebody that is struggling if you know somebody that's in hospital and either where they are or where they're not if they need some support and they need to listen to something that's going to uplift them possibly this can give them you know the uh, a hope that they need that's the only thing i ask so have an amazing day afternoon evening wherever you are in the world and i will see you in the next episode take care